I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. The recent 2015 Healthcare Information Security Today survey found some interesting trends when it comes to the information security practices and policies of the nearly 200 healthcare organizations that participated in our study. Today I'm talking to security expert Tom Walsh, President and CEO of consulting firm TW Security. Tom will be discussing with us his assessment of the information security governance trends that emerged from our survey. Hi, Tom. Hi, Marianne. So now, Tom, our survey found that slightly more than half of the healthcare organizations that responded based their information security programs on the NIST framework. About a third use hybrid approaches. About a quarter each say that they use either the Information Technology Infrastructure Library or High Trust Framework. 20% say they're not sure what programs they're basing their governance structure on. And 17% have homegrown approaches. When it comes to your healthcare clients, what do you see them struggle with most when it comes to information security governance issues? And any surprises about the frameworks being used by our survey respondents? Well, Marianne, I see that the survey data pretty well reflects some of the hospitals that I work with. Most of the hospitals I deal with are community-based hospitals, although I do work with some larger healthcare systems. And they try to come up with a sort of hybrid approach that does use or is based loosely on the uh, NIST information security standards. And the thing we have to keep in mind is uh, NIST was, is really developing those security guidelines for federal agencies. So there's a lot of good information. It's free because it was paid for by taxpayer dollars, so it's out there. But as we go about trying to use it in a healthcare organization, we have to filter some of it because it has certain requirements in there that don't specifically apply to a community-based hospital, for example, or a small physician clinic. So that's why I see a a good number of hybrid approach in there um, or homegrown, as we show in the survey. So now, Tom, about 60% of our survey respondents say that their organizations have a documented information security strategy, but nearly 30% say they're working on one and 9% don't have one. What's the danger of not having a documented information security strategy What's the main thing that should be part of that strategy that's often left out? So, Marianne, why information security strategy is so important, it's the roadmap. It's laying the foundation of the groundwork as far as where the security program will be going in the immediate future as well as further out. What I'm finding here is that more and more information security is actually becoming a topic or board or hospital's board of trustees, and they want to know what's the plan, what are we doing. So having an information security strategy is very important. You've got to have a roadmap and know where you're going, why you're doing things in information security. We put in controls and safeguards for two reasons. First is because there's some regulatory requirement for it, But secondly, and probably most importantly, is because it's based upon risk. And that's why it's so important to do a risk analysis. And from there, you've developed your strategy 
because no business runs risk-free, but we try to manage our risk appropriately. And that's what the, the boards now are asking. What are you doing to manage risk? And I guess the key thing also is to have it documented so you can refer to it. Yes, ma'am. Tom, our survey found that 88% of healthcare entities have implemented a formal security policy for bring your own device, but only 40% say they've done that for medical devices. Any surprises with that? Do you think that organizations are paying enough attention to medical device security? Well, a lot of the medical devices are fairly new. We're having, uh, for example, Google Glass in a surgery suite. We're finding doctors now are wanting to record all of the procedures that they're performing. The technology is coming out faster than we can get policies in place. And what I find in healthcare organizations is if you're putting in an organizational-wide policy, then there's a formal review process for that policy. And that takes time. So we, we tend to be reactive in information security rather than being proactive. The technology goes out, gets installed in place. Now all of a sudden we're trying to come up with a policy to address it. So it doesn't surprise me that we're lagging in the medical device area. I find that a lot of organizations haven't even assessed their risk to their uh, biomedical devices, which store PHI on it. Now, again, some of the information that's being stored there couldn't really do a lot with it as far as, like, identity theft. But what it represents is a open port into the internal network, and that could be exploited by a hacker or some other type of a attack vector. More than a third of the organizations that participated say that their security training and awareness activities for staff and physicians need improvement. Being that insiders are a common culprit in breaches, where do you think organizations generally need to improve their privacy and security training programs? Well, this is an area that's always been a struggle. When I worked in hospitals, you have a number of required training that the staff has to go through each year. And so information security is just one small slice of the pie as far as all of the required training. As we increase content, we're also taking more time. And what's really a struggle in hospitals is if we have, we have a shortage of nursing staff, so if we have to pull them off the floor, they're not treating patients now and they're going through some kind of training. Executives want that training to be delivered in a quick and efficient manner. So many times what we're ending up doing is shrinking down the content in order to get it within the time allotted. Uh, nobody wants to pay overtime for a nurse to go through information security training, for example. So we find that what we have to do is do a better job of periodic awareness reminders because our formal training tends to be very short and concise and only gives them the minimum they need to perform their job. Our survey found that organizations use a mix of internal and external analyses and audits to measure whether their security controls are working. The most common approach to measuring or monitoring security controls are internal risk analysis, followed by internal compliance audits, and then external risk analysis. 
In general, from what you see among healthcare entities, what security controls tend to be weakest and need the most improvement, and are organizations even aware of that? Wow, that's a tough question. I think some of the areas that we tend to be the weakest, and this is a traditional thing, it's been there a long time, and it's in simple user authentication. Passwords has always been an issue that information security professionals struggle with. We want to keep it simple for our physicians and clinical staff, and yet at the same time, we want to make it difficult for someone to guess or break their passwords. So I think one of the weakest controls we have is the passwords that we use, and many of those standards were set up years ago prior to a lot of the concerns we have today for information security. So that's one of the major findings in risk analysis and any kind of a survey that's done by an external group. I would prefer that we pick longer, stronger passwords and go a little longer period of time, perhaps even between password expiration and put in tighter controls when we get notification when somebody leaves the organization. The other area that is a concern regarding access would be non-employees. In healthcare organizations, we have to allow a lot of people who are not an employee of the organization access. And so when an employee leaves, we know that because they're going to stop paying them. So we have a way of detecting when someone no longer needs access if someone fails to notify the system administrator or the IT department. But when non-employees leave, there's not a real good accounting for that. So there's an open area of vulnerability. You just touched upon some of this when it comes to access to EHR data for remote and on-site users. Our survey did find that about 80% depend on usernames and passwords as the dominant method for authentication. Tap-and-go badges are also part of single sign-on that are next most popular for on-site, and digital certificate is a common second choice for remote access. Do you think that organizations are doing enough in terms of setting limits for employees to access data based on their job roles, and where can they improve there? You mentioned about when people leave the organization, closing that access off. How about the actual job role that somebody has? Well, this is another area that can be challenging for smaller hospitals. In a smaller hospital, you'll have an employee that has multiple roles, which means they end up getting quite a bit of access into the system simply because today they could be functioning in this department and tomorrow they could be over in this department. So it's hard to keep them to the minimum necessary. Large organizations usually have some type of role-based access matrix, which makes it easier for them to assign user access rights. The remote access is a concern because we're having to share data outside of the organization. Some of the people who remotely access the data could be non-employees, more so than employees. And we already talked about some of the disadvantages we have with non-employees being that we don't necessarily know when they no longer need access. So one of the things I've seen organizations do now is in the form of auditing, which means they try to, at at least at a very high level, validate with either department managers or with the outside entities who have remote access into their systems, 
a list of people who have access to verify, do they still need it? And if they still need it, do they have the right privileges to get access to the data? Sometimes we find, again, they have elevated privileges that they really don't need. So that's a, it's something that we have to be very diligent about, periodically checking to see if user access levels are still appropriate. On a slightly different topic, one question that we asked this year was related to the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, identifying the need for improved interoperability between electronic health record systems as being a vital component of easing national exchange of health information in order to improve treatment, reduce redundant testing, etc. But that is not necessarily viewed as a top priority for most of our survey respondents. More than half of the respondents said that interoperability is an important issue, but it should not be the top priority for regulators because there are more urgent issues. And about a third of our respondents said interoperability is a critical issue that does need to be addressed urgently. 14% said interoperability is not a major concern at all because they just think that nationwide health information exchange is an unattainable goal. Any thoughts about why only a third of healthcare organizations think interoperability of electronic healthcare record information is a critical issue? And what do you think worries them the most when it comes to just the general security and privacy of EHR data exchange? So I looked at the demographics of who completed the survey, looking at job title and also what organizations they work for. So you have a mix, a nice mix to of organizations that aren't directly hospitals. So if you're not a hospital, and maybe let's say you're a business associate, interoperability doesn't necessarily become a, an important issue for you. Depending on who you are, even if you work in a hospital, interoperability may not be an issue for you. So if you're the director of IT, you're probably going to be more concerned about interoperability because it's not only your job and as far as information security, but also because you're the director of IT and you've got to make sure this data is going out there. The concern we have, too, about this is how do we know that when we share this data with these other organizations, they're properly protecting it. There was some uh, concerns regarding business associates and how well they're protecting this data. Interoperability is something that's part of the meaningful use. So anybody who's involved in it for meaningful use knows they need to make sure this thing works and works smoothly. So I think sometimes the answer we get is really referenced on who is answering the question and what's their frame of how they work within the healthcare organization. Do you still have to have that interoperability? That's part of what's in meaningful use. So I think it's, it is a concern. We do have to address other security concerns first, but this is a business concern. So if it doesn't get addressed and and organizations aren't able to meet the meaningful use, you better believe it will be a priority coming down from executive management. So, Tom, now just to sum things up, any final advice for how healthcare organizations can improve their overall information security governance and security controls? I think that this is a moving target. There's constantly new things coming up that we have to address. And so the best way to stay on top of this is to always be looking at your threat and your threat profile, what's changing 
you know, just in the last few years, we've seen how hacking has gone from simply some person working independently. We make stereotypes about, you know, the individual who's still living with their parents in the basement playing video games and hacking. But today, hacking has evolved to where it's organized crime and nation states. And I saw that in the survey. We've, we've, it's becoming a real concern for healthcare organizations. You didn't see that a few years ago. Now you do. Everyone's worried about other nation states trying to get in and get the data. So I think the most important thing we need to do is keep up with what's going on. Looking at surveys like this, we can see what the trend is. Are you keeping up with what other hospitals and healthcare organizations are seeing on the horizon, doing your risk analysis so you know where you're most vulnerable and what you need to do to address it? And I think it goes beyond just looking at policies and procedures. It's that evaluation of your technical safeguards and controls as well. And sometimes that requires bringing in, you know, the expertise to run scanning or penetration tests to see where you're vulnerable. Thanks, Tom. I've been speaking to security expert Tom Walsh. I'm Marian Kobasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.